Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bed. We're your hosts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you live today on March 10th, a day that was full of spring training baseball. We still have a Dodgers D-backs game all knotted up in the eighth in something that we all know doesn't matter. And there's probably backups in there right now just getting reps, but got to make you feel good for the coming season, Sam. I'm stoked. Today, uh, we have another great division on deck uh, that we're going to break down for you guys. Sam, why don't you tell us what it is? Why don't you tell us what else we got in the episode? So we are going to be previewing the AL West division today. For those of you who have not been with us for the rest of our division previews, as always, go back and listen to those. But we've so far done the NL West, the uh, AL East, and the NL Central. So we are now going to use that same geographical pattern, but flip leagues. So we're going to do the AL West this week. Next week will be everyone's favorite division, the NL East. And then we're going to close things off with the AL Central. And the final episode before the season starts is we're going to be doing our awards predictions, our playoff predictions, maybe give you guys some gambling picks. But everything is gearing up towards opening day, which I am just so freaking excited for. Uh, But before we get into the AL West preview, we have a little news to discuss. That's uh, that Jackie Bradley Jr. signed with the Milwaukee Brewers right after we recorded our NL Central preview. (laughs) So we'll, we'll let you guys know if that changes our feelings on the division at all and just some quick thoughts on the signing. Then, as promised, every week leading up to the start of the season, Aaron is going to be doing a fantasy preview, giving you some tips. He's already told you guys how to crush the early parts of your draft. He's told you guys how to crush the middle part of your draft. And listen, I Aaron hasn't told me what he's going to do. But <laughs> if I see any pattern in this, I think Aaron might be telling you guys how to crush the late rounds of your draft today. Am I right about that, Aaron? It's time for the late game, baby. And let me tell you, this is the most fun part of the draft. I'm excited to get into it with you guys. But first, let's talk about JBJ, because I think that there was a lot of chatter around the uh, virtual diamond this offseason that he might end up in Queens playing for the Mets. So how do you feel seeing him go to the Milwaukee Brewers instead of your beloved hometown squad? Well, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. made a lot of sense for the Mets in the event that there was a designated hitter in the National League because he sort of naturally slots into that center field position where Brandon Nimmo really is playing out of position. Although I have heard Nimmo talk a lot about how sort of at towards the end of last season, the analytics staff for the Mets sort of came to him and told him he was playing too shallow and that he started playing deeper and he feels he's going to have a much better season defensively. He felt more comfortable playing deeper. I'm not sure if the stats are going to bear that out, but that's that's just worth talking about. But since there is no National League DH, if if you had Jackie Bradley Jr. playing in center, that means you're not going to be able to play either Dom Smith or Nimmo every day without a DH. And to be honest, I think both of those guys are such upgrades over, over Jackie Bradley Jr. at the plate, even if there may be a bit of minuses defensively that – I don't think it made sense for the Mets to put any resources into getting him without a designated hitter. So I think, I think their plan made sense, but do you really think think that JBJ is a, is a huge downgrade from Nimmo at the plate? I mean, we go through this every year. What, what Nimmo, his last two healthy seasons has like 148 WRC pluses. I mean, 
I mean, 2019, I guess it's only 69 games, but 2019 and 2017 are two 69 game samples with 118, which is fine. I mean, it is better than what JBJ is going to do because, um, you know, he's had those seasons before, but you expect him to sit closer to 100. What would I we need to? We need this is a tangent, but we need to name the 100 WRC plus line. You know, like 200 is the Mendoza line, like. I want to name the one the WRC plus 100 line as somebody who just hits there every single year, no matter what they do. What we could call it the Rugnetto door line, maybe. I'd have to I'd have to check, but just some guy who's always that's, right that's there. a good idea. Let's let's do some research on that. <laughs> if, um, listeners, if you have a name for the yeah. 100 WRC plus line, hit us up on Twitter at the Alonso Better or email us thealonzobet at gmail.com. We're looking at you. We're looking for those emails. I mean, we we don't have to. We can discuss Nimo more next week in the in the NLE's preview but I, I mean fair enough, fair enough. I, I I discount a lot of the 2019 season because he was basically playing with a bum wrist for for a month and and then when he came back he was his same self from the 2018 season the same guy he was in 2020 so like if you just discount that you know first month and a half in 2019 he's basically been a 140 WRC plus hitter for three years so whereas you're discounting that 2020 season or 2019 season I'm sorry which was 69 games we're looking at a very similar sample in total games for JBJ in 2020 at 55 and he actually was the best he's been since 2015 in terms of WRC plus so uh, as the Brewers I personally don't think you are buying him with the intention of him being a major part of your offense like being a stalwart of your lineup but the contract they give him 224 to me that seems like somebody who commanded a little bit more than just a glove first center fielder who who there's a relative short of but nothing extreme like everyone's got a backup it feels like how how do you feel about that yeah and i i will note that by sort of expected woba jackie bradley jr was rather lucky last year he had a 305 expected woba which is more in line with sort of like the 90 WRC plus hitter he'd been for the previous three seasons. Uh, so it really has been a while since Jackie Bradley Jr. was was giving you even average production at the plate uh, over a large sample size. Uh, but, you know, he is in, an elite defender. He's, he's a very, very good defender in center field. And I do think he's better than Lorenzo Cain at this point. Like, I think he's a bit of an upgrade for the for the Brewers out there. On uh, net, I, I think Kane offensively still is is a bigger producer. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe. I mean, like, is he going to be bigger than average either? I mean, I think can... I think he has a higher chance of a 120 WRC plus over a full season next season than JBJ does. Interesting. I'm not. Yeah, that's 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 certainly possible. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think he has a better track record of being a good hitter recently. Um, yeah. So then, you know, I, I thought it made sense for the Brewers when I was thinking about it, but I hadn't really delved delved into Jackie Bradley Jr.'s, you know, baseball savant page until just now. It's pretty and brutal. It, yeah. <laughs> it's I, pretty brutal. I didn't realize that the, the last season's production was as much of a mirage as it was. I feel like I always like think, Oh, 
like Jackie Bradley Jr. is actually better than this. And like, he's just mm-hmm. having a down season, but now it's what it's been. It, it's been for a while since he's, he's been anything offensively. Well, but you know why we say that is because he is one of the all time streakiest hitters I've ever seen. So he'll just go on like a three week run in the middle of the season where he's hitting like 500 and has like eight bombs or nine bombs over those three weeks. And like he'll be on fire. He'll be the best hitter in baseball for a while. And you'll be like, this guy's amazing. He's so good. Cause he's playing great center field too. Like he's so good. And then you just forget that like he slowly tails off and a couple weeks later, he does the same thing, but in the opposite, he'll go on a three week run where he hits a buck 90 with no home runs and he doesn't score somehow like getting on base. All he does. So he's, he's a bit inconsistent. And to me that talks about swing mechanics, which you think you should be able to fix, but JBJ is not a young guy anymore. You know, well, I mean, he's not old by real standards, but for a baseball player, he's almost 31 years old. He's been in the league quite a long time. We haven't really seen sustained success for a while. It's, it's betting on a prayer a little bit in the hitting department, but this kind of comes back to what we said last week when we talked about the Brewers or two weeks ago was that, Oh no, last week was that I kind of believe in the Brewers ability to be like, look, his defense really matters. And we see something in the swing to fix it. I think they have that in their organization. You obviously have a different impression, which makes it a bit more dubious. Yeah. I mean, I do think like he's a quality enough player that, you know, I saw the Cubs and the Brewers as maybe close enough that maybe this ekes the Brewers a a little bit above the Cubs for me. So I, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about it a bit more, but maybe if we went back and, and rank the five, I might put the Brewer second now. Um, but yeah, honestly, my, I, I feel like my opinion of the trade is, or my opinion of the signing for the Brewers after our discussion right now is worse than I thought it was going to be. Like, I feel like you, you talked me out of it a little bit. <laughs> and that wasn't my intention, but I mean, I'm just kind of like spitting what I honestly think about it. I get it. Like you said, to start, I I, I get it. He's a good player. He is quality. He does improve their team for sure. 224 though. That's, that's not insignificant. I guess the market's weird this off season. It's, it's really hard to make a prediction. So if you can pay it at the end of the day, go pay it for the brewers, go do it and go make your team better. This is a division that's there for the winning, not a super long commitment. And at the end of the day, not an extreme sum of money compared to what, you know, big time players get paid. So uh, good. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. I certainly don't think it was, it was a bad set signing in any sense. I just, you know, maybe it, it seemed to me like, Oh, this is like an, uh, a difference maker in the division when I was thinking about it at first, but I'm, I'm not as sure that that's the case. Um, Fair let's, let's take this opportunity though, to go into fantasy. Cause these guys, both Jackie Bradley and Lorenzo King are similarly positioned, um, uh, What a a flawless transition right there, Aaron. Oh, oh, thank you very much. Um, You know, I say they're similarly positioned. They're not. Lorenzo Cain about 120 picks higher, but they are both um, in the area of the draft that we're going to talk about today, and that's the late round. So the focus of this is the late round, but I am going to expand it. We need to think to get to the late rounds of our draft. If we're doing our job, right? We need to think about how we got here, what happened to get here. So in that process, I do also want to make a couple notes that I've been thinking about and hearing about on some other podcasts lately related to league format. So when you're drafting, 
you need to have some game plan. I've said it every single segment so far, and I can't drive it home enough. And so you're always going to get knocked off course. So you're pivoting, right? You have this idea. Someone takes your player, someone drafts somebody 30 picks above their ADP, and you're sure you're going to get him 15 picks above their ADP. Um, you're going to get sniped. All those sorts of crazy things are going to happen. People are just going to make bad picks. Um, so you have to continually pivot. So you kind of need to know who's here. But more importantly, you need to stay aware of your team. And in no area of the draft, in my personal opinion, is that more important than the end of the draft. So I'm talking rounds 12 to 15 and later, depending on the size of your, uh, of your league. Actually, and what, what is a typical team size in fantasy baseball? Yeah. So my team is 23 players. I think a typical team size is actually 25 players. Two less bench spots, but a corner in a middle and two more outfield spots. Um, so t- so then, then 12 to 15 seems more like the middle of the draft to me. No, I mean, because I'm not talking to you about, I, I guess I'll explain this. So I'm not talking to you about your last five picks, okay? Or your last four picks. Your last uh, position player or pitcher and your bench, that's not really uh, that's not really make or break, right? That's kind of luck of the draw. You have to have your guys that you are going at, at at those picks that you're going for. But where you're still strongly adhering to to strategy, and you're still saying I have to, you know, you always want to maximize your performance, and those should be your guys. But at the end of the day, the end of the draft is more or less a crapshoot, the very bitter bitter end. So I'm talking about that tail end, right? You've got more than half of your team already filled out. You are starting to form an identity so maybe you accidentally ended up with a lot of batting average guys but you're not you don't have a ton of power so you're like all right i'm set on batting average and now when i'm going into these late rounds let's talk about something like a you know a pick 250 or so and you're looking at a couple of different players you're looking at a randall a randall gritchick or a david peralta to fill a bench spot because you're worried that you took a kind of risky outfielder earlier you think, well, I'm set on batting average. I got to go for Randall Gritchick. At this point, your feelings don't matter, right? Because if you love David Peralta like I do, his best season outcome is still not going to have the same type of power that Gritchick is. So sorry, you may think he's going to be a better hitter next season, but if you want to construct your team right now and you don't plan on making 10,000 trades during the season to get to change your team composition, you need to be filling your roster out smartly in this position, big smart, and you need to find a way to kind of round it out all together. So where these things differ a little bit, a lot of it is depending on risk, right? So your team composition is something that can become fairly obvious to you. If you've got a ton of high inning, uh, higher ERA guys that you think getting you a lot of wins and quality starts, but might drive up your ratios a little bit, well, come down here and take a chance on a guy like Lance McCullers, who's, who's going way higher, but just to give you an idea, and you know, try to get those uh, good ratio innings somewhere later in this draft, because as you get lower and lower, what you're paying for is uncertainty. Basically there are guys here with upside who could do really well, or there's guys here who have a floor and you need to compare that with who you've taken earlier. So this is a, this is a big, big area. And when you're in a smaller draft pool, say 12 teams, you can accept more risk because the player pool left over is going to be 
pretty good. Like Jesus Aguilar might not get drafted in a 12 team league, but Jesus Aguilar might hit 25 to 30 bombs this year. I just don't think that's crazy. And so leaving him on the board is actually kind of insane. Same with Jimer Candelario. Wander Franco could be up and in a half of a season could absolutely tear the league up, right? So you're going to have guys left on that uh, free agent list who are going to be good. So when you're coming in here, these are the things to be aware. Earlier in the draft, you are going for some combination of upside and security based on you know your research that you've done. We talked about the middle. Now you're getting to the end. And it's really time to say, all right, am I going stars and scrubs? Am I going sluggers, RBI guys, get on base guys? Am I selling average? Those are the things you want to look at. So let me name a couple guys late here, unless you have any questions and then, and then we can move on. So let me, let me ask one thing before you, you name some guys in. So you, you mentioned Wander Franco. And I know that there's a big difference in, in fantasy sports between dynasty leagues and, and single season leagues. And, and, you know, your league, I don't know where to put it for, you know, it's Aaron's, a dynasty league. Aaron's explained, I know it's a dynasty league, but Aaron's explained the rules of his league to me many times. You need a law degree to understand what's going on <laughs> in that league. It, it's very convoluted. Uh, but in, a lot in of a, accountants, actually, yeah. that's what it is. In a in a typical dynasty league, when is it appropriate to start taking sort of really good prospects like a Wander Franco uh, to to build your team out, or is that someone you're going to try to get off the waiver wire? So that does depend on again how big your league is, right? Like how um, how many teams are in it, but. To speak generally, so I'm going to talk about, you know, 12 to 14 team leagues. I play in a 14, but 12, I think, is the most common. Um, A keeper league like that, he's always going to go. Always. Now, the question is, how high does he go? And I think his value, his true value, depending on how your league works, um, if it's a true keeper and you just keep him until you trade him, his value is, is top three rounds. That's It's just too good because he might play this year. If you're in a league like me where you only got, got him for a couple years after you draft him, I think he falls uh, to about seven or eight, if around seven or eight, if you have the contract years to give him. Um, and if you play in one that's, that's keep and drop, uh, he's, he's low. Uh, he's towards the end of the draft. But what I do always find is that somebody, somebody jumps the gun every year. So like, in our league, I almost guarantee he's gone in the fourth round. There's just no way that somebody doesn't take him because, like, it's not a bad move. I understand why they do it, but it's why they lose every year because they keep doing it. Well, it sounds like <laughs> you it sounds like you think it's a bad move. It is. It is a bad move yeah, the, until it works out, right? So, like, I saw guys do it for Michael Kopech last year or two years ago and like yikes right do you do you want to do you want to name names here it sounds no. like you get it sounds like you're getting critical do you want to give an on the air beat down to one no. of your competitors right now no i would i i would never uh, i respect each and every one of their acumen no matter what type of asinine moves they make it seems like one of them you know one to four of them always end up in the playoffs so um something something must be working that i don't understand it's voodoo magic 
but let me talk to you guys just about a couple down here, okay? Not too many because we will we will move on, but a couple that I'm kind of feeling. Let me tell you, uh, if you can bench Alex Kirilov, that's a good bet. I because like that. I like that of, a lot. Of all the minor leaguers that like could be really good this year, and I'm looking at guys in this area like Mackenzie Gore could be way better than him this year, but. I think Kirilov is up the fastest and has the most time in the majors this season, which is just always good for you. Um, a guy with that type of upside. Now he does have some limitations in his profile, um, but certainly uh, a lot of upside there. And then I think my favorite in this area, to be honest, at 290 is Bobby Dahlbeck. Bobby Dahlbeck playing first base, which is a thinner position than people will tell you this year. Like I, I keep t- hearing people talk about uh, first base as a fairly deep position with interesting options. It's true that there's interesting options, but it's so thin. It's, it's so, so thin. I look at Bobby, uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, a guy who had a 152 WRC plus and absolutely tore up the minors who hit eight home runs last year in 23 games, who has, every opportunity to play. They just traded away Mitch Moreland. I actually think it's insane that he's going this low. Uh, on, and On the topic of Bobby Dahlbeck, Aaron, after we talked about him during our AL East preview, who is my player to watch for the Red uh-huh. Sox? I thought, you know, Dahlbeck is, this, is an interesting candidate uh, similar to our, you know, our namesake, the Alonzo bet to lead the league in home runs this year. So I, I went on DraftKings and being like, well, what odds can you get on Bobby Dahlbeck to lead the league in home runs right now? Not offered. Really? Yeah. I'd take 100 to 1 on that. I would as well. So, you know, we DraftKings, love our DraftKings, if you are listening, please list Bobby Dahlbeck for your futures bets on who will lead the league in home runs. Because Aaron and I would like to bet on him. Or you owe us the bet. Yeah. Another guy I like, and he's even deeper, actually. This is now we're at 321 ADP. We're late in the draft here for most people. I really like AJ Puck here. So I understand that his position to pitching is blocked, and he actually fits in nicely, nicely to our AL West preview. Um, AJ Puck, for those of you who don't know, uh, young hurler for the athletics, long blonde hair, really a presence up there on the hill. But right now it looks like he might start the season as a reliever behind a rotation that has Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, Jesus Cesardo, Mike Fires, and Frankie Montas. And no doubt you like that rotation. Like it's not bad, but at the end of the day, it's led by Chris Bassett and includes Sean Manaya. And the chance that there aren't innings available on that rotation seems very slim to me. Like sure. Fire's a workhorse, but fires is the uh, Chris Bassett. I kind of trust too, but that's two of five. There's three guys who I just have no, absolutely no guarantee are going to fill the 160 innings that I think AJ Puck could this season. So uh, taking a shot on him down here. Um, I, I, I really love. So those are just a couple guys that I have for you. Um, if you need a reliever late, Blake Trinan at 419, I think he's the next guy up. If uh, if Kenley goes down and I, I'm not feeling great about Kenley. Um, and then as we get even later, just super, super deep in the draft, a Mitch Keller flyer never hurt anybody. A Caleb Smith flyer never hurt anybody. Um, and here's the big one, okay? This actually, this may be, I have two here that may be the biggest ones in the whole draft. 
Edwin Rios at 377 and Omar Narvaez at 379, I think are just incredible value. I'm going to start with Omar Narvaez, who previous to last season was an absolute force at the dish, but could not glove a ball. He goes to Milwaukee last season and he just couldn't hit. He went from 120 WRC plus his two years in a row, which for a catcher is just tremendous and absolutely awful fielding stats. Uh, minus five and minus eight defensive runs in those two seasons, 2018 and 2019. And then in 2020, he had a 60 WRC plus, but he had positive six and a half defensive runs. Like he just totally flopped as a player. And I kind of get it. Shortened season, he was working on something super hard in the offseason, and then all of a sudden the offseason became the season, and that's what he was good at. I, I don't see any change in his swing profile. I don't see any change in his numbers. Uh, like he's, He just hits the ball hard enough as a catcher to be pretty good. And so, you know, is he safe? No, absolutely. But if you're taking a catcher at pick 380, you're not going to get one of the four safe catchers. So I, I really don't mind this down here. And then Edwin Rios, the question is playing time. I think if Edwin Rios plays on the Dodgers, he puts up just bananas numbers. I think he becomes Max Muncy light instantaneously. He's, wow. two position, he's two position eligible already. He's basically a lock for 20 home runs in my mind in a full season. And he has the upside to hit about 300. Like he's kind of a stud. Um, and if he plays and you grab him down here, he might play like a seventh round pick. And that's just, Ooh, that's nice value down here. So now that I've given away all my late round sleepers and told you how to win the draft, uh, if anybody from my league is listening, I want to tell you, uh, I didn't mean it. I don't like any of those guys. I will not be trying to draft them in any way. Um, but disregard, (laughs) disregard. Uh, that's the fantasy look for you. And we've kind of jumped into the AL West a little bit here. I told you guys about that A's rotation. But Sam, I want to know, who did you have winning the division? Let's get right into this preview. Uh, so I'll just give you my five. I have the Astros winning the division. I have the Angels coming in second. I have the Oakland Athletics coming in third. I have the Mariners coming in fourth. And I have the Rangers as the bottom dwellers in fifth. Wow. Uh, I have the Astros. I have the A's. And and I'll tell you why real quick before we go into each team. It's that I love the Angels. I, I have a special place in my heart for the Angels. And they disappoint me every single year. And I just, I'm just not going to bet on it. There's just, I'm looking at that pitching rotation. I'm like, this is classic angels. You got six arms who are all going to get Tommy John this season. (laughs) Like it's just, Oh my God. Um, But then I have the Rangers over the Mariners. And to be honest, I I didn't even think it was close. That's why I said, wow, about, I could not believe that you said that you're, you're buying into a James Paxton revival, huh? You're big James Paxton guy. I'm that's not even it. It's that I looked at this. So like, I'll be honest, I was preparing for this episode and I was looking at these teams and I was just like, I, I didn't realize how awful the Rangers are this year. I, I want, you know, as we get to them, let, let's talk through them as a team because they're really bad. They're really, really bad this year, but we'll get to them. We'll get to them. What are you talking about? We'll get to them. Well, let's start. Let's start with the Astros. They're not good. Okay, let's start with the Astros. So 
Uh, Sam, what do you like about the Astros? What do you think is a weakness? I kind of want to hear them both in one breath from you right now. Yeah, so I mean, the Astros are are an interesting team because a lot of the shine on them has worn off, both because of the the cheating scandal and also because they really weren't that good last year and they lost some of their, their top guys. You know, Springer's gone. Garrett Cole is now two years gone. Verlander, I don't think is going to throw a pitch this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. But on the other hand, they still have Alex Bregman. They still have Carlos Correa. They still have Jose Altuve. They still have Michael Brantley. Uh, and, you know, Jordan Alvarez plays. Yeah. And, and Jordan Alvarez, which is, is, which is a big guy to get back. So maybe I, maybe I've tipped my cap, but I have their strength as their lineup. I still think it's by far the best in the division. And I think it's one of the best in baseball, the weakness. And it's, and it's crazy to hear myself say this about this Astros team is their pitching. And, and honestly, I think their starting rotation has the potential to be good, but it has a lot of question marks, but I think their bullpen is like really pretty worrisome to me. Um, Ryan Presley's good, but outside of that, there's not a lot of guys I trust. Well, a lot Pedro Baez, I've, I've already sold you the Pedro Baez in the Blake trying and trade episode. It, we're, we're not doing Pedro Baez slander on here. He's an absolute 60 inning reliever workhorse with an extremely high floor. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Pedro Baez is going to be blowing up or anything, but I mean, like I, if, if he's your second guy, like that's not a great bullpen. Okay, he was the second guy on multiple Dodgers World Series teams. But again, he's not the problem. I think the problem is who else, right? The next guy up is like Ryan Stanek. Steve Ciszek is in there. They have some they have some interesting, interesting guys with interesting arm slots for sure. Um, But yeah, the names in the bullpen are, are, are a little bit sus. But to me, Sam, the reason I wanted the strengths and weaknesses together is because I kind of feel like the strengths and weaknesses of this team are the same their strengths are their weaknesses in a sense they're they're kind of like a really nice like basketball or mitt right like that's just been used way 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 too much and it's still good because when you got it and it was new it was the best like it was so good but it just doesn't work like it used to this is this is so poetic this team was unstoppable they were incredible the way they were assembled with both their pitching and their hitting and they that's still what's good about them but it's also what's bad about them because they're so different now than they were when they were winning and i say that like they couldn't just win the world series this year like they can get into the playoffs which means they theoretically could win the world series this year but like they're so different from where they were when they were like the best team in baseball for sure but still so the same that I, I really have doubts about this team this year and you pin the bullpen, but I pin the starting pitching even a little bit more, not for lack of skill between Jose or Quidi, Framber Valdez and Lance McCullers. You have, you know, three plus plus pitches right there. Ogarizzi um, was, they really needed him. I mean, I'm not they, saying he's going to be a world beater, but, but like that really helps them. They really needed him because those are quality innings. But at the end of the day, the only way you make guys like Odorizzi, Granke, um, and some combination of Urquidy and Javier work super well 
is by having a bullpen that can really eat some of their innings. Like, look at their innings projected. They're all so low besides Branke, and I don't believe Branke throws 184 innings this year. Um, so I, I, have, I have big doubts. And then their lineup, while strong, for sure, is pretty tenuous, let's say, because Alvarez may not come back. Carlos Correa. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what is this that he may not come back? Sorry, it's not that he may not come back. It's like he's day-to-day still. I, I, I don't think he played today. But he's, been, he's had this injury for a long time. He didn't play most of last season. And I, the question is, when he comes back, is he healthy or is this something chronic? Like, I, I just don't think we know. And so in terms of question marks, like, it, it, it's definitely there. Jose Altuve's production has fallen off lately. Kyle Tucker is a question mark. And then after that, you're into They're the gonna- lineup. They're finally going to let Kyle Tucker play, though. At least they're going to let Tucker play, but I don't know what we're going to get out of him. Then you have Miles Straw, Martin Maldonado, and Yuli Gurriel rounding out your lineup. Like, that's strong, but it's not amazing. Um, there's there's concerns here, but if I had to pick a favorite, it's them. In the two spot, you think it's finally the Angels' year to push on up after just some dismal performances. Oh. Should, should we should we quickly do our players to watch with the oh, Astros? Oh yes, before I'm so on? sorry. I always I always forget. Mine is uh mine is Lance McCullers Jr. I think he is when healthy their best starting pitcher. Uh, and I think everyone was on the the Lance McCullers Jr. hype train in 2018 when he just decided I'm only going to throw my curveball. Uh, in fact, there was a there was the whole trend named McCullersing, McCullersing, after that, where pitchers just decided they're going to throw their best pitches, uh, and then he got Tommy John and was a bit of a forgotten guy, but he actually was quietly like pretty good last year, but and, in such a low volume even for last year. No, no, that's true, but I mean, it was after like he, I think he got the Tommy John after 2018, so like it was not. It was it was kind of fast to even come back for for last year. So I mean, I think another year removed from the Tommy John, if he can, by by all accounts, he's looked really good in spring training. If he can return to 2018 levels, that's a guy who can maybe not be like a true true ace, but can be like a lower end ace on on this team. And I think they're they're really going to need that to happen if they want to get into sort of the the top of the American League conversation. Yeah, but I, I just don't see Sam. He's never been over 130 innings in his career. He's never even hit 130. I just don't see how you're penciling in any more than 100 innings from him who, like, maybe it's not the TJ, right? But it's always something with him. And I love him. His skill is unmatched. I just said it's a it's a plus-plus pitch. It's a top 15 pitch in baseball maybe when it's totally working. Um is the volume going to be there? But I love the player to watch. I hope it's there because I love Lance McCullers. He's he's awesome when he's on. My player to watch, you alluded to him a little bit, Sam, is Kyle Tucker. It's a guy who had massive prospect pedigree, a 60 future value prospect, 24 years old still. So he's young. He absolutely tore the minors up. He People have like said he's been bad in the majors, but it, he's just been a little disappointing. In two stints totaling 80 games, he has a 122 and 126 WRC plus, averaging out somewhere in the, uh, you know, 124 range. 
<laughs> oh, math on this on this live episode here. Um, but he's got so much upside in terms of power and steals. 34 homers and 30 swipes in 2019 at AAA. 24 homers and 20 swipes in 2018. I think he's going to play a good enough defense, something he might grow into a little bit. If he can become a, a powerful bat in that lineup, I think it totally changes the complexion of the lineup. I think it gives it a lot of potency. Um, and I think a, a lot of my concerns about them are abated by a big season from Kyle Tucker. Z- Zips projects him to be like close to four war and he's like barely playing a full season in the like he he has like 370 com- com- uh, career play appearances. Like right. Zips really likes him and, you know, I'm Zips, not hasn't saying, banging, Zips, Zips hasn't banging 30 bombs this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that's going to come true. I'm just saying all all the underlying predictors of major league success are there. And it seems like the only thing lacking is just the opportunity. It seems so. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you for keeping me on track. I'm sorry I tried to jump the gun here. I really am just curious, though. Like what? What, what, what put it over the top for you for the Angels? Because, like, we've seen, I feel like, this exact team many times before. Yeah, okay. I mean, part of it is that, you know, it's just a bit of a sentimental thing, and I'm trying to get my track into the playoffs. I'm trying to will it to happen. You're doing your part. Yeah. Part of it is that I don't, I think, I don't think the A's are that good. Uh, and then part of it is that, you know, the Angels have – have some some very good players, uh, notably Mike Trout. If you've heard of him, I I've heard of him once or twice. Yeah. And then also Anthony Rendon, and that's my strength. That that you know it's star power. They have they have two of maybe the five to ten best hitters in baseball. Um, the rest of their lineup is not fantastic, but it's it's fine. Like Jose Iglesias especially with his glove is passable. He's, a, he's a major, he's a major league player yeah. for sure. Dave, That's everyone, a position I'm okay with you yeah. making sure your defense is stout. Everyone loves David Fletcher. I'm so low on David Fletcher. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't be any lower. I, I'm not necessarily saying that I love him, but everyone loves him. Uh, you know, you're the biggest Justin Upton fan in the world. I'm not sure that I, I I'm the biggest Justin Upton fan in the world, but I, I just don't think he's going to be healthy. I think if he was healthy, he'd give you 253 with 28 bombs, 88 runs scored, and uh, 78 RBIs. I, I I just think that's he was born to do that. There, yeah, and then you know there are a couple big questions in the lineup. Like first base is a question. Uh, you know, Dexter Fowler playing every day is kind of rough. Uh, Otani. I think of course, you hope that Joe Joe Adele is eventually playing there. Yeah, and I don't. I sort of don't understand why the the Angels aren't willing to try that out. Like Dexter Fowler and Justin Upton are such fantastic options. But. So can we can we talk about that really quickly? Just because I also felt that way, but then I was looking, I, I was looking at what he did in his time up and even at AAA, and I actually don't think he's ready. So. They typically say the jump from double A AA to triple A is not that like is not quite as big as triple A to the majors. Yeah. And now, so you see a lot of people go double A to the majors. 
But I, I do think there's a big difference. And I think a lot of the difference from AA to AAA is professionalism, preparation, um, knowing, knowing and executing a game plan. So I think that might be what he's getting beaten by right now, which is just the sign of a guy who's raw, who's still raw. He needs to learn how to play baseball better, even though he has all the talents in the world. I'm not sure Joe Adele is an impact maker at the beginning of this season. I think he could be by the middle of the season. But this is one instance where I actually don't think they're manipulating his service time. I actually am not really sure that he's ready to play major league ball. It's, it's certainly possible. Um, but then, you know, the other thing about the angels is that, I mean, it's certainly not a strength, but I, I don't hate their starting rotation as much as maybe I have in the, Oh past. my God, Jesus. I, so like, I've never hated a rotation more in my life. Like part of it is Otani is coming back and all the reports out of spring training are that he looks like his his filthy nasty self like he's hitting i I saw him hitting 99 on the hill like a couple days ago in like the fifth day of spring training and and let me get it out of the way my player to watch is shelly otani because i feel it's great i I feel like we've already forgotten how how fucking cool this guy is Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. like he like he throws 100 and hits 460 foot bombs yeah that's that's really fucking cool yeah, like, that, I'm so yeah. glad you said that. He's he's the coolest player to watch in baseball. I'm like, the, like it's really unfortunate that he had Tommy John, and then he still kept hitting. And like people forget, like he's been a good hitter in the majors. Yeah, yeah. He's a better pitcher than he is a hitter. <laughs> the better pitcher than he is a hitter, and he's been gone for he's been gone for basically two years now as a pitcher, and like he looks like he's back. So if he could, if he can go out and be a dominant pitcher like that's that's huge and they said that uh they're not going to be like they're not going to be doing the same thing they were before where it's like he pitches once a week or something i think they're just going to have a six-man rotation and he's going to go every time through in the rotation um well it's what it looks like at least they definitely want to like let him go and sam to speak to your point I actually, I guess it doesn't speak directly to your point, but it, it does give you the idea of what we're in for. I actually like the projections on him. They're a little optimistic in my mind, but realistic. Um, they have him pitching somewhere between 69 and 96 innings. So ATC and Zips has him at, at 60 something and Steamer, FGDC and the bat all have him closer to 100 with like a four ERA on average, basically, which isn't amazing. But it's pretty good because they also have him hitting 21 bombs and stealing 14 bases next season, like with a WRC plus of 120, basically around the board. Like they believe in this guy. How, how does he work in fantasy? So can you like move him to pitcher or De- depends on your league. So some he's one player and he like fits in either one, but only once a once a day. Like you can't play him in both positions on the same day. Yeah. And um in some he's two different players. So in our league he's one player and, and he has eligibility at, at both pitcher and utility. Gotcha. But yeah, then then going back to the rotation, Dylan Bundy was incredible last year. Uh, I I mean I don't think that's necessarily going to be repeated, but I think it was maybe a breakout into like this is a good major league pitcher. Um oh my God. Why Alex though? Alex Cobb is always interesting to me. What uh, about Alex Cobb is interesting to you? You literally, that's the least interesting pitcher in baseball. I, I just, I like Alex Cobb. He's always just like, you can like, like him. You can go to Shabbos dinner with him, but at the end of the day, like what about <laughs> him as a pitcher is interesting. 
I, I don't know. He, I, I think he can eat innings decently. Like, I think he could throw 150 innings as a, as a, as a decent fourth starter. Like that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's, and, and, and the reason I'm trying to make these points is like, like, yeah, Alex Cobb's not great. Andrew Heaney, he's not great, but he's, he's decent. He's fine. Uh, like low key Andrew Heaney has massive upside. Andrew Heaney yeah. could be crazy. Well, yeah, no, I'm getting, that's what I'm getting to my, yeah, I agree. Andrew Heaney's has higher upside than Alex Cobb. And then also Quintana, he's, he's a professional good pitcher. Quintana, yeah, yeah. The point I'm so, trying to, the point okay, I'm trying go, to go, make go. is this is a, this is a better rotation than they've had in the past where it's legitimately five or six deep in terms of major league pitchers. Like they don't have that surefire ace, but they have like a bunch of good pitchers and the reason I'm trying to stress this is because, like, I think when we get to the A's, what we can talk about is that, like, I'm not sh- I, I, I think the Angels have a better starting rotation than the A's. And the projected war agrees with you, Sam. But in my mind, this rotation, while less injury prone, has a floor that is stunning. I don't uh, like, sure. There's some upside. No question. I don't think you could construct a rotation of full-time major leaguers with a floor lower than this, unless you replaced Andrew Heaney with uh, their last year sweetheart of Taiwan, uh, not Taiwan Walker, but the pitcher that came over from the Braves, whose name has suddenly evaded my mind. Fulty, Mike Fultoneva, sure. No, not 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 Fulty, not Fulty. Oh my God! Either way, this rotation. Dylan Bundy was he good last year? Yes, Dylan Bundy was legitimately good last year. His Statcast data bears it out. But there was not a not a huge change in usage. There was not a huge change in location. There was not a huge change in any, maybe a little bit of spin rate, maybe, but there was not really change in anything to le- to make me confident. It's possible. At least I see it now because we've talked about it for years with Dylan Bundy and he definitely could be a late breakout. I hope he is. But once you go past him, Heaney question mark. And let me, sorry, just say that I agree with you. This is the best rotation that they've had in years. I- I'm thrilled about this, but if I'm just being realistic about it, you're talking about Alex Cobb. Sam. Alex yeah, Cobb. All right. Maybe I Look talked Alex Cobb. I, 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 maybe I talked Alex Cobb up a little too much, but I was, He's I was trying to make a point. the worst pitcher in baseball. <laughs> Here's here is the thing though, because Griffin Canning is exciting. Griffin Canning is a good pitcher, but, and to your point, this is to your credit, Sam. Typically we'd be talking about like, Ooh, if only Griffin Canning can really harness it this year as their two. Right. Typically, Julio Tehran is the pitcher I was thinking of. Typically, we're talking about some guy like that being there, too. And then Julio Tehran. Right. And then some combination of Patrick Sandoval, Jaime Bury and Jose Suarez. Um, So there's at least the possibility of eating major league innings here. But when you go over to the A's and. I don't want to go too long because I know we have players to watch. Let I'm not going to forget about it. Let me make one more point about the Angels as to why I have them above the A's. Okay. They have Mike Trout. They have Mike fucking Trout. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. <laughs> that, that, that's a great point. He's the best player in baseball. But someone's got a pitch, and that's always the thing that drags them to the ground. Um, well, you know what? I'll save the talk of the A's. Okay. I'll save the talk of the A's. I'll say that 
my strength for them obviously is that they have Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon because Anthony Rendon is getting slept on. I already told you, I think he's one of the biggest uh, bargains of the entire fantasy draft this season. Like Anthony Rendon is a top 10 hitter in baseball hitter period. Easy. Easy. No question. And Mike Trout's the best player in baseball all around. And that's incredible that you have those two players on the same roster. Like that's legit amazing. And then, you, you struggle in the complementary pieces, but there's some upside, there's some experience, there's some selective skill. I'm okay with the lineup. Their bullpen, I do want to give a special shout out to, though. While their rotation is better than I've seen it in a while, I still hate it. I still think it's going to be bad. The whip is going to be enormous. They could all blow up and be awful. Their, their bullpen, we're finally talking. Like, how many years have they started to cl- close with the Cam Bedrosian equivalent? You, right? like you, every... you love Rysel Iglesias so much. Rysel Iglesias is <laughs> a proven closer, Sam. I like, sure. Talk about, talk about how closer is not a position, whatever, but sorry that all Rysel did from 2017 to 2019 was save ball games. Did he give I, you headaches and aneurysms? I, yes, but did he pick up saves reliably? No doubt. I, I, I'm not criticizing Rysel Iglesias. I think he's a good reliever. I'm just pointing out that you love Ed Merriam. If, if, he's, uh, if he's looking to offer his hand in marriage, I'll let him know that I, I'm presently available. But it's not just him. Like I like Alex Claudio back there for them, finally. I like Jesse Chavez as somebody in the middle. I like Junior Guerra as someone in the middle. Where it's a bit dicey, is that their number two is Mike Nayers? Ooh, and their number three is Felix Pena. Ooh, you don't want to see either of those. But I think beyond that, it's a little deeper. And if there's something available at the deadline every year, if they if they're starting to show promise, it's a guy who pitches the seventh and the eighth. Like that's just always on the table, and the cost is never exorbitant unless he's having like a Devin Williams type season. So. Um, Fingers crossed for the Angels, Sam. I, I really hope you're right. I do want to mention my player to name really quick because I know we did Shohei. Um, my player to watch is Dylan Bundy. So after I talked all this trash <laughs> on him, I want, to ta- I want to talk about him just a little bit because everybody forgets Dylan Bundy was a fourth overall pick in the 2011 draft. He was prospect pedigree. In the minor leagues of Major League Baseball, he was pretty darn good at times, but also struggled a little bit to keep balls in the park. He could always K guys. There's no question. I, about I feel that. like, I feel like in terms of prospect hype on pitchers, I can't rem- remember someone being as hyped as him outside of Strasburg in like the past 10 years or 15 Agreed. Years. But yeah. I'm trying here to speak to this story of two sides of the coin. On the one side, you have exactly what you're talking about. It was all Dylan Bundy, Dylan Bundy, this guy. Oh, it's lights out. He's lights out. He's got this. And, you know, he came out with, uh, you know, a rough future value of uh, 55, which is pretty good. But I think that was never... after that was that was probably after he got injured, though, because he got Tommy John as a while he's in the minors, I think. Yeah, here's the thing. He never had a great season in the minors. He never had a good season in the majors until last year. I just, after this long, after nine seasons, one of nine, I get that it was the last one. And he's 28 now and pitchers are breaking out around this age and it's all good. And I hope it's right. But 
all the hype was there. All the pedigree was there. The performance has never been there. The injuries have always been there. And we see 50 good innings last year. 65, a lot of innings, good for him. 65 innings last year. I want to believe, but how can I believe, right? Like, how am I supposed to believe in that performance? So um, we'll just have to see. If I honestly had to project him right now, I'd put him at a four or five ERA, uh, 11 wins. I, I think he could log 170 innings this season. I think that's totally fair. I'm not too wor- I'm not more worried injury wise with him than I am for anyone else in particular. Um, with a K rate hovering around nine, but in today's game, that's not your one. So that's my player to watch. Like he's really got a bust for them, I think. Um, but let me let me kind of flip it to the A's now, who I have a two. Sam has a three because. For me, the A's rotation, like their floor is not lower than the Angels. The A's rotation, I mentioned it before, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, Jesus Lazardo, Mike Fires, Frankie Montas. Their floor is not lower than the Angels. It might be the same, but it's not lower. And their ceiling is way higher. I mean, Chris Bassett is, talk about the mattress depot of the MLB. People are sleeping on this guy. Throughout his entire career, he's just been, like, pretty good, pretty solid, like middle threes ERA um, in multiple different roles. And it just looks like in 2019, he got the chance to actually pitch. He was like, yeah, this is what I do. He figured the role out a little bit. Last year, he got even better. And I just think he's going to get better again this year. Like, I'm pretty high on Chris Bassett. But even if you don't think he gets better, even if you think he regresses in a major way to, like, a 4-2 ERA – like he's going to get innings. He's got plenty of mileage left in that arm um, since he's served as a reliever and in various other capacities. So, uh, you know, I who, just, who would, who would you rather have this year? Chris Bassett or Dylan Bundy? Chris Bassett. Not that, a question. That's, that's insane. It's not, it's, yeah, it's yes, literally it not insane, Sam. Dylan Bundy has proven over and over and over again that he is not a good major league pitcher. I get that the pedigree is there. And if I ran an organization that had a large number of scouts who knew something that I didn't know, I'd listen to them and I'd see if I believed them. But I don't have that. So I'm going off what I see and going off StatCast data and his Fangraphs data, I've never seen an elite pitcher in there. None of his statistics have ever been elite in any way. Chris Bassett has been the same his entire career, no matter what he's done. It's not elite, but it's good. It's better than the majority of Dylan Bundy's career. So I... You know, I'm taking if I get to pick a guy for next season alone, not projecting for the future, I take Bassett because if Bundy is good, then fine. I pay double for him next year, but at least I know what I'm getting next year. I don't know after 65 innings. But like, I mean, Chris Bassett's thrown 400 career innings. It's not like he has this like deep, deep pedigree of like of of like a lot of good innings. And then like, yeah, but 400 career innings is more than two full seasons in today's game. Dylan Bundy has never strung together two full seasons that are anywhere near as good as Chris Bassett's aggregate career totals. I mean, Bassett has like a career K per nine below eight. His, his X fifths 4.6. I mean, maybe, maybe he's going to keep generating weak contact. I'm not. Dylan Bundy's only ever had two seasons in his career where his X fifth was below four, six. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess I'm, yeah, maybe I'm putting some stock in like Bundy had this pedigree and last year was a breakout. 
Whereas like Bassett's performance last year, like the underlying metrics make it seem like a bit more of a mirage to me than Bud. Oh, he's he's for sure regressing, but he's regressing to his mean, which is like three four ERA. That I mean, I prefer that to three, yeah. Well, yeah, if Chris Bassett has a three four ERA, that's great. Like I I don't think you can you can like pencil that in. No, I mean all the projections have him around four which is fine, but they all have them. Every single projection has them lower ERA than Dylan Bundy. I'll just say that. I, I'll just say that. So going down the list, Sean Manaya, I'm not, I, I'm, he pencil him in for 50 innings. Like he's just not even <laughs> going to pitch this year, which is why I like AJ Puck. But if he does pitch, we know he can be nasty at times, but he's not the real two. The real two here is Jesus Lazardo, who again, you don't know how many innings you're getting out of him, which I've mentioned multiple times, the question mark on this team. But if you don't think the ceiling on Jesus Luzardo is through the roof, then you don't know the Jesus lizard. Well, no, I, I mean, I think Luzardo is, is unquestionably the one. I, I, I don't know why he's being talked about as a two. Like he's, he's by far the best pitcher on this staff. Because well, how many innings are they going to let him throw? Uh, the A's are not going to let him throw more than about 140 innings tops. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fair. When, when I say one, I just mean like he's by far the best pitcher on, on, it, oh, yeah. on the starting staff. He's, he's my player to watch as well. I mean, oh, yeah. Everyone was everyone was signing up for the the Lazardo breakout like after after the playoff stuff in in 2019 like coming up being amazing out of the out of the bullpen he he wasn't like really good last year but the stuff the stuff played and in his first 60 innings in the majors it's not a performance that worries me yeah. in any way and it, exactly and he's still only 23 like he's really young for a pitcher right. and he's so talented he's so talented Lazardo is incredible Lazardo is an incredible pitcher I'm so excited to watch him for years to come he's so good and will be an all-star in this league multiple times over and then at the end of the at the end of the rotation oh my god do I love what they have Mike Fires, who you just talk about a Clydesdale, not even just a normal working horse. Okay. Talk about a Clydesdale. Well, how, how are you going to, how are you going to like absolutely destroy me for talking about Alex Cobb? And then you're just like, oh, but like Mike Fires is, is, is awesome. Because Mike Fires is a useful pitcher. Alex Cobb is an absolute trash can. Alex <laughs> Cobb, do you want me to cite 2020 or 2018 to you? His last two full seasons. I don't mind because either way, all important stat cast metrics are below 10% percentile. Mike Fires, solid middle of the road. But Mike Fires has a, a over five XFIP the last two seasons. Sure, I mean, <laughs> sure, but yeah, it's not, it wasn't his true fit. You know, I, <laughs> okay, okay. You make a, you really make a solid point there, but you cannot deny that having him in this position i like him eating more innings than alex cobb if you're just talking about innings eater even if you say they're the same which they're not mike alex cobb's awful uh, <laughs> like even if you say they're the same like i like mike fires to eat on average 15 to 20 more innings this season than i do alex cobb um and then frankie montas you talk to me about a pitcher who is one adjustment i mean it he's one adjustment away from becoming a very good pitcher and that is just throwing a four seam fastball more frequently. Frankie Montas has one of the nastiest splitters in baseball, probably number two behind Shohei's, which again, just speaks to how insane Shohei Otani is. Cause you, we talked about his 99 mile an hour fastball. What we didn't talk about is this weird disappearing gyro ball that he throws. 
Um, that is just insane. Frankie Montas throws the second best splitter in baseball, in my opinion. Um, but he throws it way too much. You can't control a splitter. That's why it's hard to hit. It's like a knuckleball in some sense. And, uh, you know, you throw it as a strikeout pitch. Frankie Montas throws it as a, as a first pitch. Um, he needs to throw his four-seam fastball more. He needs to drop his sinker. Uh, and I really like him as a back of the rotation arm. I really, really like him here for the A's. Um, I get that Canning actually has totally different type, but similar level upside to Frankie Montas, perhaps even a little bit more as a well-rounded pitcher. Um, but on aggregate, I think I take Fires and Montas over Cobb and Canning any day of the week at the end here. I sure as hell take Luzardo over anybody but Bundy in that rotation for next season. Um, and then I take Bassett over Bundy, as I mentioned, and Sean Manaya. maybe here uh, the Angels can take a little bit uh, of the lead here because I think I take Andrew Heaney or Jose Quintana over Sean Manaya. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair enough. And, and maybe I, I think the place we're, we're apart on on these two teams is basically just how how we, how much upside we think some of these pitchers have versus downside. I mean, none of these pitchers are just like pencil them in surefire guys. So a lot of it's just going to come down to, to personal preference. For sure. But, well, and at the end of the day, it's going to come down to performance. Yeah. One of these groups is going to perform on the field better than the other. And I do think that makes a difference in, in, uh, in probably the whole division. Cause if one of these performs well enough, they could surpass any of these teams could win the division in my mind. Yeah, I don't think it's as tight as the central, which we just talked about, but I do think any of them could win it theoretically. And if any of these pitching staffs performs extremely well, that will be the difference maker for me. Yeah, that, that's a that's a fair point. And and before we move on, let's just give give some some lip service to the to the A's lineup, which of course, like Matt Chapman is a verified superstar, uh, maybe the best defensive third baseman in baseball. Matt Olson, criminally underrated every year. Great power here at first base. Great glove at first base. Uh, Loriano, very nice player. After that, you know, they're, they're good major league hitters like Mark Canna, Stephen Biscotti, but I think... Okay, Mark Canna's more than a good major league hitter. I, everybody, you talk about underrated. Matt Olson, not underrated. Mark Canna is underrated. All right, fair enough. Mark, Mark Canna is good. Um yeah, but basically, I, you know, I think there there are some question marks beyond. Well, they're starting they're starting Tony Kemp for three hundred games this season, so I, I think there's or three hundred plate appearances. I'm sorry, almost four hundred. I think there's question marks. Um, I agree with you, and actually, you nailed my player to watch, which is Matt Olson. Uh, let me say, I love Ramon Laureano, tremendous outfielder. Super, super curious to see what he does with the bat this year because it, it has huge fantasy implications. Ramon Laureano has a chance to be a five-category producer for you in uh, five by five head-to-head, and uh, keep an eye on him. If you believe in him, I don't mind you taking him in the draft this year. A lot of reasons to believe that the very, very poor performance last year um, is something that we can, you know, not ignore, but uh, can take with a grain of salt. Um, but my guy to watch is Matt Olson because of exactly what you said, Sam. He got this rap as a guy who is super um underrated because he would quietly fly under the radar uh he knocked 36 bombs in 2019 he knocked 14 last year almost 30 in 2018 but the question i think is how much does he hit behind the home runs so for example in 2018 he had almost 30 home runs but his slug was only 453 
it's really hard to do that. That's an extremely low slug. And some of that's anchored by the 247 batting average, but the, most of it is anchored by the fact that he doesn't really drive the ball into the outfield. He hits home runs, but he doesn't drive the ball super well into the outfield. The next year he hit five, seven more home runs, uh, bumped his slug up by a hundred, was a good hitter that year, very good hitter that year. And that's what people I think are buying into at this point. Um, and I think the potential is there, but I think they're, they're, power in their lineup and i don't mean that in the literal home run sense i mean it in the sense of overwhelming power of the lineup lies in their corner infield Uh, matt chapman and matt olson the matt boys are both young both have insane talent both are so fun to watch play baseball Uh, we haven't even mentioned that matt olson is one of the best defensive first baseman in baseball yeah i'm not sure anybody in baseball picks a ball like matt olson he has a hell of a pick there, there's one guy that might be a better defensive first baseman and we'll get to him next team i think but <laughs> oh I, okay fair enough but um yeah i think that we really need to see matt olsen at 195 last year i don't think he's gonna do yeah that. he had like a but, 220 babip like that yeah, yeah he had a 220 babip but his career babip is not that high because he is hitting the ball um, the way he does, like I said, he doesn't drive yeah. line drives but, into the but even, even 260, and then he's hitting like 240, and like that's passable if you hit for the, sure. as many home runs as he does. For sure, um, but we they don't need passable to beat a lineup that has Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon with the pitching ambiguity that we had exhausted earlier. They need Matt Chapman and Matt Olson to hit next year, or they're in big trouble. If these two guys aren't a very formidable two three or three four in the lineup. The athletics lineup is in trouble. It hinges on them. Um, they have enough to support, but it hinges on them. So let's let's keep our eyes open. Let's see what happens here. Uh, super, super interesting division at the top three here, Sam. Yeah. I, I I love this division. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. So so let's let's do the last two. I know we're running a little long, guys. So we'll we'll try to keep it short, although you know. I know there there are Mariners fans, there are Rangers fans out there. They don't want us to just totally ignore these guys. So so let's talk about the Mariners first. I had them fourth. You had the Rangers fourth. And maybe we can talk a little bit about our disagreement. I have my strength for the Mariners as as great young players. I mean, Kyle Lewis is, you know, the reigning rookie of the year. We can debate sort of how much we buy into him as like a real like good player in this league going forward. But I mean, at this point, he's a career 126 WRC plus in 300 plague appearances. It's not all that much, but you know, he's the reigning AL rookie of the year. Of course, Jared Kalenic probably won't start the season in, in the majors, but I, I think, think he's ready. I think that is yeah, service time manipulation, yeah, but he's ready. He's one of the top 10 prospects in baseball. Julio Rodriguez, you probably won't see this year, but another really really good young prospect well they're starting taylor trammell in left field he was quite recently a top 20 prospect in all of baseball yeah and then you know another guy who i'm not totally ready to give up on he's 26 had a, it better be mitch Haniger. that's not who i was gonna say it's jp jp crawford what do you mean give up on him this is the jp crawford hype train these days all right then then you're also not giving up on him I mean, he's never he's never had a hundred WRC plus in his career, so I certainly don't think he's worthy of hype at this point. But I'm just saying, like, I I don't think I'm not ready to say he's not good. I've been listening to too many podcasts because it is the JP Crawford sleeper hype fest out there. Really? Um, 
yeah, but I but I'm sorry to mislead you. I don't. I'm out on him. Um, I, I'm super down on him for exactly what you said. Like he now has you know 800 plate appearances in in his career, and he has an 89 WRC plus. Like sure, he's still young, but he never actually fielded out or uh, graded out to be a particularly good hitter. Um, you know, his hit tool never exceeded 60. His power tool never exceeded 50. His power uh, his game tool never exceeded 40. So uh, I just don't see it for JP Crawford, but I, I appreciate the optimism. Yeah, but, I like, I've always liked him. H- Hanniger is another good one. Who's Hanniger has done nothing but hit since he's been in the majors. Um, well, and you want to talk about the most disrespected player in baseball is Kyle Seager. Yeah. And, and Kyle Seager, like just what, what the hell do you want out of this guy before you're like, all right, I admit it. Kyle Seager is good at, playing baseball he's extraordinarily consistent he didn't play fewer than 155 games from 2012 to 2018 in 2019 he got injured and only played 106 every single one of those years with the exception of 27 18 he was over 110 wrc plus like what do you want from this guy he's just going out there and doing it he's never had a negative defensive run score until this year what do you want from this guy like he's good yeah kyle seeger's really good i I was the only reason I didn't include him in my list was I was trying to focus on young players and he's 33. Yeah. Also, sorry. I wasn't screaming at you. Like uh, what you uh, this guy. I, I know that you have yeah. never asked a dime from Kyle. <laughs> that was to the world. Why are you not recognizing me? And then the one other young guy that I wanted to bring up and he's my player to watch, not necessarily my player to watch. Cause I think he's like going to be really good this year, but like, just because you should watch him as a major league player. And that's Evan white who actually might, I think he is the best defensive first baseman in baseball. Uh, Came up, came up last year, just absurd. Look up Evan White defensive highlights. Like he's maybe the one first baseman where you're like, I want to watch him play to play defense. Like the rare glove first, first baseman. I'm not sure. He had a a negative defensive run score last year. I mean, he was no, but no, that's because of the defensive adjust positional adjustment from playing first. He's like 98th percentile and outs above average. Oh, fair 97. enough. Fair uh, enough. No, like that's, that's, you know, it sounds like you haven't watched enough Evan White defensive highlights. No, I, I've seen the plays, but you remember when Tatis was like amazing his first season, yeah, yeah, but like fair enough. The metrics didn't really like him. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I, Evan White, I'm not saying he's, he's going to be good because I'm not sure he's going to hit enough to play first base. But the gloves awesome and just just watch him play defense as a first baseman. That's what I mean by player to watch. Well, let's talk about him as a hitter though, because I think that's the question. He kind of profiled out as a guy who was like gonna hit. Like he had good hit tool, um, decent like like raw power to drive the ball, but like was the game power ever gonna be there? Like, was he going to hit home run? And then last year, he it looks like maybe he kind of changed the swing up and sold out for power because his homer spiked, his average hit the floor at 176. 41% of the time. He struck out all, over 41.5% of the time. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. But for me, like if I'm a Mariners fan, I love this, right? Because sure, like we're not going to compete, but we never were. But instead of not competing and just being sad like we were last year, at least we have some guys back. Like at least Hanniger's back. At least we have Paxton back. At least we have the reigning rookie of the year and some other young guys that are kind of cool. At least we might see Kalenic this year. Like 
kind of exciting as a Mariners fan. Uh, and I appreciate that. Evan White is a big part of that. Um, let's talk about another guy, though, who wasn't my player to watch, but I'm going to make him my player to watch right on the spot here. Um, and you mentioned him earlier, Kyle Lewis, right? He is the reigning rookie of the year. He was in a race with Luis Robert, in fact. And interestingly enough, they both had very, very similar seasons where they started out amazing. They both were so hot. And then they both ended the season so bad. And the aggregate was good for both of them. Uh, Lewis ending up with a 126 WRC plus, 11 bombs, 37 runs, 28 ribs, a 14% walk rate, which was his career best. That's, that's huge for him. Um, you know, a lot of upside here, but his stat cast rankings were scary at the end of the season. Um, a, a little bit, sorry. His exit below and hard hit. Like he just wasn't hitting the ball that hard. His XWOBA's K rate were pretty good. His barrel percentage was fairly good, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions here. Is he a good hitter? He never really was in the minors over an appreciable, um, period of games since he went from low a, uh, but I hope so because boy, was it fun to watch him when he was just mashing last year. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, again, I think there's still a bit of doubt about Kyle Lewis because it just seems like he came out of nowhere, but he's looked good so far. So we talked a lot about the Mariners. No, no, no. Let me let me talk about my weakness though, because it's important to understand why I placed them last oh, in the Rangers. Oh, that's that's and the Rangers above last. You, you didn't let me finish. I was going to say we talked oh. about the Mariners' young lineup, but let's get to the pitching ah, staff, which is pretty ah. pretty brutal. Uh, it is pretty brutal. Yeah. So the the pitching staff is it's not good. I don't think there's a single above average major league pitcher in it except Paxton. Um, Marco Marco Gonzalez is above average, moderately. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, it's certainly possible he will be. I'm not. I'm not. He could also be not good. I mean, Kikuchi was a bit of a disappointment last year. Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield are guys who have some prospect pedigree, but have never really shown any suggestion that they'll be good major league pitchers yet. Um, and there's not much past that. I mean, they took a flyer on Chris Flexen after a good KBO season. So maybe he gives them something. And like, if, if you're depending on Paxton, who of course is the king of health problems to, to give you like to be the workhorse of your rotation, like you're, you're in trouble. So it's a, it's a good story having him back, but I agree. Their rotation's really bad. Yeah. And for me, Sam, like that was the tipping point um, because I don't know. I look at the Rangers rotation, which is, which is worse actually. Yeah. That's, that's um, what I was saying. What I was trying to say earlier is that like, I didn't actually realize how bad the Rangers were until I took a look at their lineup today. No, their lineup is, is not bad. Rotation. Their lineup is not bad. To be honest, after going through this, if I did it again, I might pick the Mariners above because while the Rangers lineup is not bad, the thing that actually surprised me in our discussion was how much potential the Mariners lineup has this season, actually. Like, it could be brutal, but, like, there's a lot of potential. The Rangers lineup, while it also has a decent amount of potential, 
Gallo obviously could be great. We saw good things from Solak in the last year and a half. Nate Lau obviously has big upside. This is no, Leotis, this is Nate Lowe. Nate Lowe, I'm sorry. Leotis Tavares is underrated or like slept on a little bit. Jonah Heim, we've talked about in a previous episode. He was the recipient of a trade. Um, they have some good players here. They now have Crush Davis, who, you know, could be awful, but he could always hit 242 with 35 homers. Um, and yeah, their lineup, I think, is actually pretty good. And I thought it was head and shoulders above the Mariners. But now that we went through it, the Mariners have upside. I still think the Rangers are the better lineup, but the Mariners have upside. The pitching rotation is scary. It is scary, but it's a similar floor, again, to uh, the Mariners rotation. It's maybe a little bit lower floor, but a higher ceiling, but the floor is similar. Um, there's just nobody here. Like they have Kyle Gibson for 170 innings as their one. Yeah. My player to watch out of this rotation is Dane Dunning, who they got. Yeah, for sure. In the Lance Lynn trade. Uh, and yeah, I think Dunning has the profile of a guy who's not, he's never going to be an ace or probably even a two, but he could maybe be a good three who eats innings. He's got a nice sinker can get, get some ground balls. Uh, doesn't have a ton of velocity, but could could be a could be a he, he had pretty decent results in his rookie season last year. Yeah. Pitched to the tune of a like a four ERA, four FIP, four point one six X FIP. So it, all the peripherals were there. Um White Sox fans definitely liked him. They weren't thrilled that he was sent in this deal. Yeah. I think if you're the White Sox, it made sense in terms of the Oh, for have, sure. Um for sure. And and sort of the depth you have as a, as a farm system. But yeah, so he's my player to watch, but I, I'm, I'm much less high on the Rangers lineup than you. I think a lot of these guys are, like, outside of Gallo, I don't think they have any good. And Nate Lowe might be good. I, I considered him as a player to watch. He, people think he's going to be a good hitter, but the Rays wanted to get off of him, and you know, we'll see. But like, what don't you like about Nick Solak? I, yeah, I mean, Nick Solak could be good. I, I mean, like, he, he's fine. I mean, he's nothing to write home about. Like, like what what do you like about him? A profile that doesn't K all too much, walks above 10% of the time, hits for power, scores, and it, he hits, hits for bat, he, decent batting he, average. He like two home runs last year. In, like, his, his 58 of 80 games in the majors. Like, I'm looking at his minor league stats. I'm looking at his profile, and I'm, I've watched him play a decent amount. His underlying metrics have persisted. The results have been a little bit different, but like, I don't know. I don't think there's any more reason to like a guy like, um, I want to say Kyle Lewis, but I get that that's absurd. There certainly is no reason to like JP Crawford more than. Oh yeah. I agree with that. But you know, I I was just sort of throwing in JP Crawford in a list of guys. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that. But if you look at the Mariners lineup, like behind Seager, Hanniger and Lewis, Who's your next best guy? Like if you assume Kalenic's not coming up immediately, is it Crawford is the one projected to get the next most at bats and have the most war, but that's almost all from defense. That, like yeah, then it's, that, that's a, then it's Ty, then it's Ty France. What the hell is that? That, that, that is, that's a fair point. Like maybe I'm, I'm writing in. Yeah. I, I think I'm putting too much weight on like Kalenic being up there and being a star, which. It, yeah. Which could totally happen and make their lineup like actually pretty decent, but. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just not counting on that. It just hurts so much to watch that. 
uh, I think it, I think you'd like it. You'd be like, "That's my guy." No, we knew. I'm telling. We knew. I'm telling you, I won't like it. Look at the middle infield you got for it, though. We you have Francisco Lindor. We didn't get that for Kalenic. It's called the butterfly effect. Sam. <laughs> you trade one top prospect for an old guy who will play a hundred games for the Mets and get suspended for PEDs. Next thing you know, you have a counterpart at the more important center infield position that is uh, best in the league. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. And one thing thing I will say is that uh, at least Edwin Diaz is back to being like elite. He looks good in, in spring training. I mean, he also looked good last year. He's like one of the best relievers in baseball last year. The thing, the thing about relievers though, and this is nonsense, but I, I, I know that, but it resets every year in my mind. Like it doesn't matter the sample size, like every single year, it's like, all right, it's a new year. Like which version of this reliever are we going to get this year? All right. So, so let's, let's do quick over unders and then we're done. We've, we've ran a little long. Let me just say really quick, Sam, I had a surprise for you this week. I was going to pop a bunch of um, bets on you MLB bets. Cause it's time that we get to them a little bit, but we're running way too long. So I don't want to do it right now. But I'm going to let our viewers know right now, uh, we're definitely going to run through some bets for you guys next week. We're going to find a way to tighten it up uh, in the NL East. Next week. NL East week? (laughs) Maybe we'll skip fantasy next week for uh, for, uh, some bets. Maybe that's what we'll do. Anyway, uh, yeah. All right. Over-unders real quick. That's so. Astros, 87 and a half. over yeah i'm going over i, I think the astros that's not that's low on yeah, i think the that's astros will nice. win over 90 games like i i think they're pretty clearly the best I, team in- i think you have to win over 90 games to win this division yeah uh athletics 86 and a half i probably have it 91 88 wow. 86 or 7 so i think i have them over too i'm going under i i'm not that high on them the Angels, uh-huh. 83 and a half. Over. I'm going over as well. I, I mean, like like I said, I think the Angels are better than the yeah. Athletics. Uh, I'm almost certainly fading these last two teams. Uh, Mariners, 72 and a half. Under. I, I just I just don't think they bring Kalenic up until late. I'm going under as well. The pitching is just kind of brutal. Uh, yeah. Rangers, 66 and a half. So uh, actually, uh, the Vegas is, is is with me on this. They really hate the Rangers. They are. They do. Um, see, yeah, I know I ranked them wrong because I, I want to take under too. I, I I did put them wrong. The Mariners probably take. That I, I'm going out. under on the Rangers as well. I mean, yeah, they're not. They're not good. They're not good. Yeah. <laughs> That, no, but I, I, I sympathize with you because I, I was looking through their team and I was like, wow, are the Rangers really this bad? That, right. That's not the impression that I had. It's just, you know what I think is oversold? I think the potential's oversold. Like, it, also, I, they have potential, but it's a thin and narrow margin. Also, I feel like I have like this general impression that they had like good pitching because of the last few seasons, but it's all right. gone. It's all gone. Yeah. It's all gone. They got rid of everybody. Yeah. All right. Well, that well, that was the AL West, folks. Uh, it's it's really the Wild West in this division. 
it's going to be it is weird, the wild wild it's going to be a weird division this year i i would i would really give anything to see mike trout in the playoffs i hope so i'm crossing my fingers i'd love to see them win the division a little magical run for the most deserving player in all of baseball in my opinion that that would be a great cap to the season um we'll keep an eye on it and like i said next week guys we're coming to you with the NL East. Oh, boy. It's going to be a big, big episode. You better not um, make the wrong pick in that division, Aaron. We're going to do a little bit of betting previews next week as well. Really want to get into that. So um, stay tuned. Stay plugged in. We'll be back next week coming at you. Uh, and for the Alonzo bet, we've been your ever so grateful hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Have a good night, folks.